0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Medicine, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. My name is Claire Clark. I'm one of the hosts of the channel. And today we're talking with Latanya J. Trotter, who is an assistant professor in the Department of Sociology at Vanderbilt University. And she is the author of More Than Medicine, Nurse Practitioners and the Problems They Solve for Patients, Healthcare Organizations, and the State, which is out from Cornell University Press. Tanya, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I wonder if you could start us off by um, telling our listeners a little bit about yourself. So, um, you know, where did you go to graduate school? Did you have a significant mentor? How did you um, find your way to studying nurse practitioners?
1: Well, you know, I guess when I think about how my educational journey uh, shaped um, who I am today and the kind of work that I do, I, I kind of need to go a little bit further back. Um, and I really, you know, just want to start with my undergraduate days at Williams College. Um, out in Williamstown, Massachusetts, because that's really the place where my love of sociology um, and in particularly of ethnography um, um, got peaked. And so ethnography is really sort of the practice where we don't just sort of focus on numbers, but we focus on people's lives and experiences. Um, And the person who really um, um, started me on that journey was was, uh, sociologist Gene Bacon. Um, But of course, you know, that was a really long time ago. Um, um, And in between then and when I... I ultimately went to graduate school. I also spent a lot of time working out in the world. Um, I worked in the nonprofit and the government sector, and many of the places that I worked were actually focused on healthcare, and that was really the place um, out there in the real world uh, where I developed my understanding of the primacy of healthcare, uh, not just as a place that sort of shapes our health and well-being, but also as a place that shapes the world, right? Um, because really, health. It's the place where we, in modern U.S. society at least, um, it's really the place where we place our hopes, our dreams, our sense of self, and increasingly our money. Um, So uh, when I decided that it was time to go back to graduate school, um, I had pretty much decided that what I wanted to study was how healthcare, um, how it's organized, structured, and delivered, and how that whole apparatus really shapes our everyday life, um, which is a life that includes lots of good things, our joys, our families, our health, but also a lot of negative things um, like gender and racial inequality. Um, and so I did that work at Princeton University in the Department of Sociology. Um, and uh, sociologist Elizabeth Armstrong was really very, very important and key for me um, in figuring out how to approach these questions in a rigorous and systematic way.
0: And how did you come to write More Than Medicine? Because it's, it's, you tell a story and, and sort of the is it the introduction or the preface where you talk about um, you did almost pre-field work before your field work?
1: Yeah, um, and I think this is when it's sort of really important. You know, you sometimes you read these books and people pretend as if their questions sort of come out of the books, um, but you know many. You know, our questions actually come from, you know, our lives. Right. Um, um, and so at the same time that I was doing my my Ph.D. work at Princeton, um, you know, and I was taking all these classes and sort of reading all the literature on healthcare, care, um, I had a friend um, who was simultaneously uh, going back to school to become a nurse practitioner at Yale School of Nursing. Um, and so, you know, when I would have these conversations with her about, um, you know, her classes and her training, um, um, and I would sort of try to match those with the kind of things that I was reading about um, um, in the sort of text for my schooling, you know, I was really struck by the almost complete absence of nursing and our theories about the way in which healthcare worked, right? It seemed mm-hmm. like everyone was so focused on physicians um, that you know scholars at least seemed to have forgotten that anyone else even existed, um, and you know, and so you know, just sort of following that um, noticing of that absence, you know, I really began to pay attention to the kinds of stories that my friend was telling me, um, really basic ones, right? I mean, I'm not talking about sort of dramatic stories. Mm-hmm. Um, in a TV program, but really basic things like just hearing over and over again, the basic idea that my friend who was going back to school to become a nurse practitioner, which is a nurse who's explicitly trained to practice medicine, was training in a nursing school, right? Um, So, you know, her, her, um, the folks that were training her, the nursing faculty, the clinical mentors were primarily nurses, right? Um, And then even just the structure of the education itself. Um, You know, when she would just sort of talk to me about how her days unfolded, um, you know, what being in class looked like. I remember thinking to myself, you know, well, this doesn't look like medical education at all. Uh, Right. There was just this, Mm -hmm. this dramatic difference in how it was structured, um, but also the difference in the orientation. And so it was really through paying attention to the kinds of things that um, she was saying. And I I started making sort of um, weekend trips um, um, down to sort of spend some time in her classes. That was when I really began to understand that nurse practitioners were not junior doctors. (laughs) Um, They were not helpful assistants to physicians that they were nurses, Um, but they were nurses who were learning to treat nurses, to treat patients as a nurse would, not as a physician would. Um, And so I really just became curious about how that came to be, right? Um, um, How that sort of notion of practicing medicine like a nurse, and, you know, how that came to be, um, and also exploring the contradictions, right, embedded in this idea, like, what does it mean to practice medicine like a nurse? Because Patients, employers, insurers, you know, they're all going to NPs and paying for NPs to practice medicine like a physician would, not like a nurse would, right? So I really just became interested in understanding this reality and its contradictions, Um, and that's really what
0: led me to write the book. Can you say a little bit more about that, just so all of our listeners are kind of on the same page? Um, How are nurse practitioners actually similar to and different from physicians? What do they do?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, so that's a really interesting question. Um, in some ways, um, you know, I spent an entire book really trying to explore the question of how NPs and physicians look different, because it's it's really a much more complicated answer um, than it may first appear, okay. um, because, you know, the simplest way of answering the question is that, you know, nurse practitioners are nurses with advanced training, Um, partly what that advanced training um, does is that um, it gives them the sort of educational resources to do um, some of the diagnostic and treatment work that was once done only by physicians. Um, And so, you know, historically, the nurse practitioner was explicitly created um, to essentially help us deal with the sort of growing scarcity of physicians, particularly in primary care settings, right? So, you know, pediatrics, um, um, general internal medicine, those kinds kinds of um, specialties, right? And so one way of answering the question um, um, of, you know, what makes NPs and physicians different is to say, you know. In places where NPs are employed, one could say, not very different at all, right? Um, which is that they were created essentially to deal with the fact that we didn't have physicians to do that work. And so they are ostensibly asked to do the work of physicians, right? Um, and so that's one way of answering um, the question. Um, but, you know, another way of answering the question, you know, is really sort of thinking about, you know, what does it mean to be a nurse, Um Um, and, um, and so I think, you know, as I sort of began to know when I was learning more about my friends, um, educational training is that, you know, the building block of every nurse practitioner is a registered nurse, right? Um, so folks who want to become nurse practitioners, um, you know, go through the training of being a registered nurse where, you know, most registered nurses sort of work at the patient bedside, um, in the hospital setting, um, and, you know, the sort of primary way of, of, of becoming a registered nurse is, is through a bachelor's degree. Um, and then um, if you are a registered nurse who then wants to become a nurse practitioner, you then sort of... Add training on top of that. And so that's, you know, if you talk to nurses um, and you ask them, well, you know, what makes an NP and a physician different, you might get a more sort of nuanced answer, which is that, you know, what nurse practitioners provide is essentially advanced um, nursing care. Um, right. um, they certainly understand that um, part of what that advanced nursing care looks like is to do sort of diagnostic work, write prescriptions, do sort of medical interventions. But they would describe um, what they do as really coming out of a nursing perspective, as opposed to thinking of it coming out of the same perspective of physicians. Right, and they don't mean any disrespect to physicians in some ways. Right, that is, um, you know, partly the sort of you know uh, collaborative ecosystem in which we can think of physicians um, having an an arena of expertise and nursing having an arena of of expertise um, that are related, but that are separate. Um, But there really is this kind of contradiction, right, um, um, going um, um, at work. um, When we try to answer the very basic question of how do they differ, it really depends on who you ask.
0: So I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about about their training and and specifically about um, the Stanton School of Nursing, which was um, a, a site that became important to your work. So how um, what what is what is the Stanton School of Nursing and and how did you um, how did you sort of come into that space?
1: Yeah, um, so the Stanton School of Nursing, um, which is a pseudonym, um, is. Um, in some ways, it is um, a, um, a, a kind of um, aspirational um, model um, for what the entire profession of nursing wants nursing to be. Right? Um, so many of your listeners of this podcast probably know a nurse, right? There are 503 million um, nurses in the US, so the odds are you know a nurse, you're related to a nurse, you live next door to a nurse, right? Um, and so some of you probably know some of the biographies of some of those nurses that you know. Um, you might have some nurses who may initially have trained in community colleges, in night schools, um, you know, et cetera. Um, um, so there's more than one pathway um, into becoming a registered nurse. The bachelor's degree is sort of one of them, but there's all these other historical pathways. But today the School of Nursing and nursing schools like it, really want nursing training to sort of have this more professional model rather than a vocational model, right? Something that looks more like engineering than like, you know, a trade school of a mechanic. Um, so, you know, Stanton School of Nursing um, is a nursing school that is sort of part of a um, sort of a larger aspiration of nurses to really have their training centered in um, um, in. in in university settings. So so Stanton School of Nursing um, itself is part of a larger university community that grants bachelor's degrees, as well as a host of other professional degrees. Um, And so, you know, that's one way of thinking about, you know, how we can think about Stanton, right? It's sort of a professional nursing school um, associated um, with a university in the same way that medical schools and law schools and business schools are. um, and you know, in thinking about you know the un- the other way of answering the question um, is that. Um, you know the site where I ultimately ended up um, um, doing my observations about um, actual medical care um, was sort of owned and operated by Stanton School um, of Nursing, and that really sort of fits in again with this idea um, of really professionalizing nursing, um, making it look um, more similar to other professional schools, right, like medical schools, for example. Um, that. Um, um, that, you know, don't just have a classroom component, but that also have um, um, various kinds of practices and places where their students can do um, rotations. And so um, I think um, for for Stanton School of Nursing, having a um, site um, um, that they sort of managed that provided actual medical care was also sort of another sort of piece
0: of its aspirational um, professional goals. Can you tell us some more about that site which you call Forest Grove Elder Services? One of the things I really appreciated about the book was the way that you you break down not just the, you know things like administrative structure and patient population, but you also you you give kind of a, a rich description of its history too. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, so Forest Grove Elder Services you know, is, again, the sort of site um, where clinical care happens, right? And so many folks are sort of familiar with med schools being associated with acute care hospitals, right? That's kind mm-hmm. of, um, I think, yeah, that, that, that is actually a really very important part of, of what medical schools um, do and sort of being related to acute care um, hospitals. But, you know, what's really interesting about Forest Grove Elder Services is that, you know, its affiliation with a nursing school um, really, I think, um, has something to do with the kind of care that it provides. So Forest Grove is a long-term care organization uh, that provides comprehensive care to an outpatient older adult population. So one way of thinking about what kind of site it is is that it's essentially a nursing home diversion program. Right? It has the goal of sort of providing supports for um, medically frail older adults um, that would allow them to remain in the community. Um, so in addition to providing sort of comprehensive medical care or primary health care services, um, it also provided a whole other host of things, right? So um, the medical clinic was housed within a larger adult day center. Um, That provided, you know, supervision, uh, skilled nursing care, personal care, uh, physical therapy, occupational therapy. Um, It also um, provided a lot of practical coordination, like scheduling outside appointments with specialists, um, assisting uh, patients with accessible transportation to and from those appointments. Um, and, and I think that this is, you know, when it becomes really important to think about, again, who the patients are of Forest Grove Elder Services, because these were not the well-elderly, right? I, I mm-hmm. called it a nursing home diversion program for a reason, um, because the eligibility criteria for being um, a part of this program um, um, were really very similar um, medically um, for um, who would, um, in, in another context, be eligible for nursing home care. Right. so they had a sort of host of, um, you know, cognitive um, and physical um, impairments, um, sort of paired with um, 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 medical instability, often um, that would have made them eligible for nursing home care, um, and this these were also you know, primarily poor older adults. Um, you know, all of the folks who were in the program at the time that I was doing my work um, were, um, you know, not just um, eligible for Medicare, but they were also eligible for Medicaid, um, um, which, you know, has income requirements, right? Only economically vulnerable qualify for Medicaid. Um, And so, um, you know, and so as you can sort of imagine, right, the sort of care of um, this population is expensive. Um, um, So, you know, one of the things that was also really key to thinking about how the program um, at Forest Grove Elder Services worked um, is that you know, there were ways in which it sort of functioned almost like an HMO, right? Um, they received sort of um, monthly payments from both Medicare and Medicaid um, um, to sort of provide um, the care. And, and that became really sort of important because this was a, um, uh, in some ways, you know, the Grove was a kind of experiment um, in which um, the federal and state government sort of agreed to provide enhanced payments um, through Medicare and Medicaid on this sort of monthly base, this basis to see if they could demonstrate cost savings um over um, other kinds of programs, but particularly nursing home care.
0: So um, I wondered if, if, if you could say, um, tell us about, and this is another big question that um, might might take up the rest of the hour, but um, mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and ask it anyway. Um, what is the more than medicine in, in the title? Is the more than medicine the services that are provided at Forest Grove Elder Services, or what? what are we... Th- talking about, what are you talking about when you say that, um, at this particular site, um, the nurse practitioners are able to practice something that's, um, not just as good as medicine, but more than, more than, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, traditional medicine.
1: Yeah. You know, you know, titles are fun things. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, and I, I spent a lot of time sort of coming up with this title. Um, And I think, you know, there's really sort of multiple ways in which you can um, sort of um, use the title to sort of think through what the book is about. Um, so, you know, one of the ways in which the sort of title more than medicine sort of applies to the work that I did, um, is that it, it, in some ways refers to the organizational reality of the Grove, right. Um, which I think is important, you know, because it's the reality of the larger healthcare system. Um, so, you know, what do I mean by that? Um, you know, I just sort of gave a description of all the kinds of things that the Groves provided, right. So thinking Mm -hmm. about this coordination care thinking about um, you know social work services Pt OT, um, and, and this kind of um, you know comprehensive coordinated care um, for the most vulnerable right so we're, we're talking about folks that are sort of economically and socially vulnerable as well as medically vulnerable um, but that actually um, defines an increasingly large um, portion of the American population, particularly of our among our older adults, right? So this policy question of how do we effectively provide care so that the most vulnerable among us don't fall through the cracks um, is as much um, um, of an important question um, um, for our healthcare organizations as you know sort of discrete things that happen in the context of the exam room. So that's another way of saying that the Grove existed in part because we actually need services that provide more than medicine. Um, And so, you know, one way in which this sort of title works um, is that I think it's giving us a slightly different picture um, um, about what's needed in healthcare, um, which is more than medicine. Um, And so then the book then sort of dives into thinking about, you know, you know, how the organization, particularly through its nurse practitioners, really go about providing that more than medicine. Um, Because again, just reminding your listeners, the original policy logic um, of the nurse practitioner is that their role was to stand in for the physicians that we don't have. Um, And so there's an assumption embedded within this logic that the best nurse practitioner is the one that looks exactly like a physician. Um, And if we see any difference, that difference is an error right? That is about, okay, the NP doesn't have the same training as a physician. So when it doesn't look exactly like an MD, it's because they're doing it wrong. Um, but you know, in my observations, what I saw was actually something a little bit different. Um, I saw the nurse practitioners doing something different in the exam room, which was not, you know, sort of medicine plus nursing, but something that looked closer to the transformation of the medical encounter. Um, So these are a lot of kind of like abstract kinds of words, um, and I really think that it might be useful to just sort of give you an example um, um, of, you know, what it looked like um, for me to watch nurse practitioners um, do for patients something that looks a little bit different than physician practice. Please, go ahead. So there was this um, one case um, where I was following a nurse practitioner who I call Michelle, um, and Michelle was meeting with a patient called Mr. George. Um, And Mr. George had congestive heart failure. Um, And so um, Michelle had noticed that he had gained about seven pounds in two weeks. And for those of you who don't know, um, rapid weight gain from fluid retention is sort of one of the classic signs that something is amiss for someone with heart failure. Um, But the cause um, of this, of what's amiss, right, could be any number of things. It could be a worsening of, of his condition because congestive heart failure is a chronic condition. Um, so it could just be a worsening um, of that condition. It could be a change in his diet. Um, um, so um, fluid retention um, is exacerbated by um, a high salt diet. Um, so it could be that there was something that had changed in his diet. Or it could be a problem that could be um, um, with his medication. Right. So this was you know, the kind of thing that I call a kind of slow moving emergency um, because if Mr. George retained too much fluid, um, that fluid might eventually move to his lungs and he would find himself struggling to breathe. Um, so this was a, a kind of problem that um, nurse practitioner Michelle had to sort of figure out, um, you know, um, not over weeks or months, but in days. Right. So Mr. Mm-hmm. George, though, you know, obviously as someone with heart failure, he has a cardiologist um, but sometimes the job of a primary care provider is to be the one who makes the decision of whether he could be treated without going to the specialist. Um, but also, you know, sometimes the role of a primary care provider is to sort of intervene um, to sort of decide if this is an emergency. Because sometimes your primary care provider can get you in front of your specialist um, sooner than the two or three month wait that we all have to have often when we are going to see our specialist. Mm-hmm. So when I watched Michelle um, in her encounter with Mr. George. Um, this This is what I saw, right? Um, You know, Michelle employed a style uh, with her patients that you could think of as sort of a stance of playing dumb, right? When she wanted to understand a problem, either from a patient, a family member, or a colleague, she, she had a way of asking questions that didn't quite reveal what she believed that she already knew. So I watched as Michelle spent half an hour listening to Mr. George describe how he took his medications and when. And because Mr. George was not conversant with the names of the medications that he took, she showed him pictures of each of his pills as she asked him when he took them. She was very, very meticulous in her questioning. Um, And when she got to one of his last medications um, and she asked him how he took this one, he said, quote, this one I take half-ways. And Michelle sort of stopped and asked, well, what do you mean by half-ways? And so after a little bit of back and forth and questioning, she learned that Mr. George was only taking half of this pill. Um, he was concerned about side effects, and he believed he felt better when he took less of this particular pill. But he didn't know that the pill he was taking less of was one of the medications that helped him manage his heart failure. So, you know, I think that this was an interesting sort of example because in hindsight, you know, this is clearly a sort of problem of medication compliance or patient education, right? This mm-hmm. is the kind of problem that you might refer to someone who is not a primary care provider. Um, um, But the nature of the problem only appeared in hindsight. Um, Michelle had to ask questions and listen before she could know what the problem was. And those open-ended questions that she asked were really key, because if she had just asked him, are you taking your pills? He would have said, yes, I am taking my pills (laughs) Um, Or if she had simply sent him off to the cardiologist and said, this is outside my scope of practice, you're having a problem with heart failure, go see that person who's an expert of that. He might have had his medications changed or increased, which might have led Mr. George to continue being his own pharmacist um, without knowing or understanding the impact that his decisions about how he took his medication were impacting impacting his health. Um, So... You know, sometimes when people, you know, talk about the difference between sort of nursing and, and, and medicine, um, they sort of use the sort of term sort of holistic um, or they sort of describe a kind of effective difference, saying that nurses sort of care more Um But it was really in watching interactions like the one that I watched between Michelle and Mr. George that I really began to sort of understand what that meant, right? Um, That, you know, it's not as if Michelle in this interaction sort of cared more in some effective way or some emotional way. Um, 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 But the way in which she cared was actually quite tangible, right? It was in asking these open ended questions Um, um, because in doing so, it wasn't, she wasn't just creating an environment where Mr. George felt cared for or listened to, but it really became a matter of of managing a medical problem um, that could actually have become a sort of emergency situation, right? But also through asking these questions, she not only sort of helped Mr. George, she also saved his insurer from paying for a more expensive trip to the cardiologist, um, as well as sort of averting a more sort of serious problem down the line, right? And I think that this is sort of really, really, really um, sort of important um, um, about um, the sort of difference of the way in which the sort of care and the work unfolded. Because in some ways, what happened in this encounter was um, intangible, right? She was still attending to the sort of medical management of her patient um, um, in ways that um, on um, a sort of billing form looks identical to the way that a physician, right, would have written up this encounter um, and filled out the, the sort of requisite forms. But the way it unfolded looked qualitatively different, and that qualitative difference actually mattered for the outcome um, um, of helping Mr. George sort of manage um, his health care. So I think that that sort of, you know, um, one of the ways in which um, um, what the NPs were providing um, was more than medicine um, in their particular kinds of encounters.
0: You also, by, by focusing on NPs, I mean, th- this, this focus really does allow you to to, to um, uh, take, take a, a, a wider, you know, more systemic perspective, too. I, I, one of the things I really liked about the or really appreciated about the book was how um, it, it moves across these levels of, like, provider-patient interaction all the way to the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the focus on MPs lets lets you analyze those those different kind of levels. Um, I'm going to do the annoying an annoying thing now, where I quote you back to you, okay. um, and um, at, ask you to to expand a, a little bit on um, one of the the sort of main um, arguments or, or frameworks of the book. So, you write that in focusing on the work that MPs do. Um, for their patients, their, the healthcare organizations that employ them and the state, you're able to illuminate and trouble the relationship between who we think should solve our problems and what we understand those problems to me to be. Can you um, elaborate a little bit on this? What what are our real problems and, and how are are we not understanding them when we look when we're looking in other places? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, you know, from where I sit, our real problem is social inequality, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Um, um, because I remember way back when, when I first started um, sort of learning about the healthcare system, um, I used to tell people that what I wanted to study um, was health policy. Um, but I learned very, very quickly um, that when you use the words health policy or health care policy, that conversation is almost entirely focused um, around economics, right—the sort of question of how we, how can we move the money around in more cost-effective ways? Um, so even when healthcare policy folks talk about providers, they're really talking in terms of dollars and cents, right? You know, they're sort of balancing the cost of producing um, certain kinds of providers, are reimbursing for the care, um, and thinking about how we can sort of um, um, make different kinds of accounting decisions. But when you make this an accounting problem, it then seems as if it's an apolitical problem, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But anybody who works with the most vulnerable, whether in healthcare or outside of it, um, knows that this is not an apolitical problem, right? It's a political problem. Um, And what I mean by a political problem is that we're ostensibly fighting over, you know, what we care about, who we care about, and what we value. Um, And so, you know, um, again, the nurse practitioner, the sort of logic of the nurse practitioner was really this thing that we called a physician shortage. Um, But there's really a kind of political impact of even calling it a physician shortage because it, A, focuses our attention on physicians, um, where they are and where they are not. Um, But that framing also means that we don't see value, measure, or even talk about the shortage of a much broader range of people um, that, yes, includes nurse practitioners, but also bedside nurses, Home healthcare aides, all of the many folks who are part of developing a a health, a healthy population, Um, and so you know, I think we really need a new framing, um, one that really targets, you know, the shortage not of. Um, physicians, but the sort of shortage of political will um, to address the kinds of problems that show up in the exam rooms of healthcare workers um, and to really have the courage to name those problems for what they are, which is that it's really not a problem of medicine. It's, it's really a problem of justice. Um, um, so, um, you know, that, you know, you know, one of the other things that I, that I often sort of um, um, tell folks is that um, even though um, a key part of my book is really intended to provide readers with a sense of what it looks like to be a nurse practitioner, um, and I really do hope that readers who are not nurse practitioners get this kind of real narrative sense of what MPs do. But that really um, um, wasn't my primary goal, um, um, or it wasn't my only goal to just do that. Um, It's really to sort of do the work of showing through their work um, um, that we've really been asking the wrong questions, Um, um, which is not, you know, how can we produce more workers more cheaply, but really thinking about how we can create a world in which everyone um, is sort of well cared for.
0: So the Grove is a very um, it's a very interprofessional uh, environment, mm-hmm. but um, you center but in, in centering MPs instead of physicians, it, it kind of it it allows you like as you said of it it gives a framework for for thinking about the systems and the roles of different health professionals diff, um, in in different ways. Um, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what is the relationship between NPs and physicians. You describe a, a kind of trade-off in which physicians are um, interested in maintaining their status, and that affects the, the workflow in the organization.
1: Yeah, you know, I think that the relationship between the NPs and physicians is a really interesting one, um, because I think, you know, in some ways it was special, but in some ways it was not. Um, and so one of the things that, you know, I really just wanted to sort of highlight um, is that in some ways the relationship between them was actually really quite good.
0: <laughs> um mm-hmm.
1: And I, and I think that it's important to sort of highlight that because, you know, normally, you know, particularly when sociologists go anywhere, um, <laughs> um, including the medical workplace, people looking for conflict, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we do that for good reason, um, because just like in the movies, um, moments of conflict are where you really get to understand a character and what motivates them. Um, and that's true in real life, um, as well as in fictional stories. Um, and so, you know, I confess that I went in expecting to see NPs and MDs sort of battling it out um, over the bodies of patients. And I really just did not see that. Um, And in some ways I maybe shouldn't have been surprised um, because it is also true that in real life, people go to work to get the job done, (laughs) right? Um, You know, um, they're not having existential fights about their professions, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They, MPs and physicians go to work. Um, Their primary job um, is not protecting their turf. Their primary job is caring for patients. Um, And so while there was occasionally sort of small amounts of friction um, that you might expect to see in any workplace that has human beings working in it, um, They mostly did truly get along, but, you know, um, there was conflict, um, but it was really less with each other in a kind of, you know, interpersonal way than it really was a sort of um, conflict about very different notions of what the job of providing primary care was. so, you know, um, when I sort of described um, in the example about the kinds of ways in which MPs inhabited the exam room differently um, than the way that we might expect physicians to, there were ways in which I observed that the MPs um, at the Grove had really sort of reorganized and reformulated the work of medical management. Um, and in that reformulation, or reformation rather, of the work, um, the physicians were, then became a really sort of poor fit. For the way the NPs had reordered the clinic, right? Um, So they often found themselves um, being asked um, to do the work in the way in which the NPs were doing the work, um, or found themselves in a position of having to, quote unquote, help out the NPs, rather than the other way around. Um, And that's just not the kind of position that physicians are comfortable with, right? Um, As one of my physicians um, that I interviewed said, you don't go to medical school to take orders, you go to medical school to give them. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, at the Grove, you know, certainly the physicians had the same power that they have in any other kind of organization, a medical organization. They did have the power to, quote, give orders around medical problems, but the kind of true discrete medical problems um, that the nurse practitioners couldn't handle were actually quite rare. um, and so the, the ways in which the MPs were sort of managing the work at the Grove meant that the physicians simply didn't have the knowledge to sort of give orders around this sort of expanded arena of work that um, the MPs actually did know best because it wasn't their area of expertise. Um, um, so the nurse practitioners were the ones that were in control of shaping the work, Um And so, you know, when the physicians found that they could not become comfortable with the ways in which NPs had reshaped the work in the clinic, um, they, um, you know, really began to sort of engage in acts of refusal um, to do that rendering of the work. And I think that became really important because essentially what they were doing was they were saying, what you're asking me to do is not medical work. I am perfectly capable and competent to do medical work as I went to med school to be trained to do it, as I sort of understand the doing of that work. That other thing that you're asking me to do, um, I will either refuse to do or I won't even be able to see it because it doesn't match my understanding of what the work should be. Um, And so they did um, engage in acts of, of, of refusal of doing this sort of expanded arena of work. And they also just found different work outside the clinic. Um, So, you know, again, in talking about the sort of comprehensive care that the Grove provided, um, you know, um, as you can imagine, with um, very sort of um, chronically and acutely ill folks, sometimes they end up in the hospital setting. So one of the things that the physician's jobs were was to really sort of manage the care of folks who ended up in the hospital or who may have ended up um, in the nursing home for sort of short-term rehab stays. Um, And so the physicians really just became, became, really skilled at finding expanded domains of work in those settings, um, and so then the acts of refusal were maybe not interactional. They just became less and less present in the clinic, um, which I think is, a, is really sort of a story that we can see writ large in the rest of the healthcare organization, um, which is that you often don't see um, actual conflict between physicians and NPs inside primary care clinics, in part because the physicians just aren't there. <laughs> um, have that conflict with they are finding work outside of these settings, um, and that's that is I think something that is both you know um, um, true in the site that I um, was in, but I think is also um, has some things that we can learn um, about um, the healthcare system outside of it.
0: I'd like to talk a little a little bit about um, I'd like to talk a little bit about the relationship between the NPs and social workers. Sometimes, um, you know, when we, I, you know, I try to, to teach social dimensions of medicine to medical students, Mm -hmm. um, very often the, the response is just call the social worker, you know, (laughs) this is a case where you refer it to the social worker, Mm -hmm. um, and, and then the problem is solved, Mm -hmm. um looking at the relationship between NPs and social workers gives you a very, at, at this site gives us a very different um, perspective on that, I think. And I, I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, you know, your observation um, in teaching um, med students is, is really fascinating um, because I think um the idea of just call the social worker um, um, really um, um, requires that social workers um, are there. And we know that social workers are not actually there in in, in every healthcare organization, Um, but also that there are enough of them um, to do the work um, that we think of as being the work of social workers. Um, And I think that this is when um, my observations about the relationships between the NPs and the social workers um, Really, can sort of give us um, some purchase on, on sort of thinking through um, those questions, um, in part because um, as a long term care organization, um, um, the Grove was one of the few outpatient medical clinics that actually did have social workers. Um, mm-hmm. um, and so, you know, it became really fascinating to sort of see, um, you know, how they got along. Um, and also, you know, because they were required to have social workers, though. I had a kind of empirical um, puzzle to solve, which is that as I watched the nurse practitioners do an expanded um, kind of work from inside the medical exam room, I really had to say, "Well, why doesn't why why don't they just call the social worker? Right? Um, mm-hmm. What is sort of going on here um, that makes both the nurse practitioners not call the social worker, but also?" Why, you know, why it is that all the other folks in the organization, from patients, administrators, PTOT, were not just calling the social worker. Um, and so the relationship between the NPs and the social workers was an interesting one. Um, and again, very similar to the one between the NPs and the physicians, there are some ways in which, you know, um, 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 they, they got along quite well interpersonally, um, right. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think one of the things that in which we could sort of see, um, you know, how sort of, um, um, conflict between these sort of two providers sort of arose was again in really, um, not necessarily understanding or the NPs not necessarily understanding, um, why the social workers, um, weren't really able to do the kind of work that everyone believed that, um, a social worker could do. Um, and so, um, you know, and one of the things that I really sort of touched upon in the book that, um, I think, you know, really helped to sort of, um, shape, The sort of disenfranchisement, if you will, um, of the social workers at the Grove is really thinking about um, the different kinds of organizational um, um, responses that the Grove had um, towards putting a lot of money into the medical clinic or the medical services and not a similar kind of of money and support um, into social work services. Um, So again, this was a population um, of very vulnerable folks. The patient population was very, very, um, they were socially, economically, and medically vulnerable, Um, and everyone knew that that, that this population was vulnerable. So there was open recognition that there were a lot of of social problems that these folks faced, but even though the organization sort of recognized um, um, the sort of um, wealth of social problems that their patients faced, its organizational response um, over and over and over again was to invest in the expansion of the clinic rather than um, that of social work. Um, so in our conversation, you know, we've, I've really been sort of talking about, um, you know, um, each provider singly, um, but this might be a useful time to sort of point out that one of the things that was really, you know, um, interesting and useful about the Grove was that they really did have a team approach um, to providing care. Um, and that team included a nurse practitioner um, Um, in the the clinic, um, a full-time nurse practitioner. Um, But that full-time nurse practitioner also had the support of a full-time registered nurse. Um, That full-time nurse practitioner over time during the course of my observations added the assistance of a part-time nurse practitioner um, to help with the medical management of their patients. And that was in addition to the support of the physicians, right? So Mm -hmm. You've, you've just got a lot of people, right, um, um, sort of holding down the sort of medical end of things. Comparatively, you had one social worker for the same number of patients on each team, right? Um, um, and, you know, um, and I think one of the things um, um, that really sort of shaped um, the relationship between the MPs and the social workers um, is that, you know, the MPs sometimes made the observation that um, the things that they um, tried to get solved by the social workers um, were um, not able to be solved with the one social worker um, who was sort of trying to sort of hold down um, the sort of arena of social problems. Um, and the, and the other piece of that is that, you know, um, um, with um Even though there were so many needs that the patients sort of presented with, the social workers also had um, um, paid a particular organizational function, um, which was really um, having to do with managing paperwork requirements by the state. Um, So I started out by talking about how the care for the patient of the grove was was, um, paid for, um, right, through Medicare and Mm -hmm. Medicaid. Dollars, um, and you know, um, receiving money from a from a government insurer um, creates a lot of paperwork. Um, and you know, the social workers were often the ones that were sort of tasked um, with managing the um, um, paperwork um, that went along with sort of keeping track of all the sort of various kinds of services that folks sort of received. And so, um, many of the folks on the team. Um, you know, didn't always have a very good understanding about how much of the social workers' time was really sort of taken up with paperwork requirements um, of meeting their obligations to the state um, to sort of keep track of, you know, which patients were in the hospital, which patients were in the nursing home, which patients were out in the community, which services which patients were receiving, etc. cetera. Um, and so, um uh, And so, you know, one may have thought to themselves, much like your students, um, Mm -hmm. why don't we just call the social worker, but the social worker um, um, might not have been available to deal with what we're often with, we're not able to deal with what we're often sort of urgent concerns because they were doing these other um, expanded set um, of paperwork requirements, and so you know when you're not getting a concern addressed that feels urgent to you, that feels urgent to your patient, um, and you have right full time NP, part time NP, mm-hmm. full time registered nurse physician, right. right? um, there were just so many more resources, and so things just got solved much more quickly. From inside the clinic. And I think we can see real parallels um, to that um, um, in other kinds of organizations, um, which is that, you know, you go into any hospital, yes, they have a social work service, but when you think about all the kinds of medical providers that are kind of coalescing around patients and the acute care counter with the sort of much smaller complement of social workers, you can begin to see um, that some of of the difference between Um, You know, how quickly or how well someone is able to respond isn't about their desire um, or training even to care for clients. It's really about um, putting all of our resources into medical care and a paltry amount of services into other ways of dealing with problems.
0: So... I I loved the conclusion to your book. Um, I I have to say, I, I do think you send a medical sociologist into an organization, you expect them to to come up with everything that's dysfunctional about it, right? <laughs> um and and instead it, your your conclusion was, was kind of surprising in in the sense that it was very um it was hopeful and it was it was forward thinking. Um I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how your findings from this study might shed light on the future of healthcare organizations, um, and particularly healthcare organizations that are kind of embedded in communities, the way the Grove is. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I, I'll, I'll perhaps begin, a, 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 you know, with with the with the sort of place <laughs> where <laughs> sociologists often sit, right? Which is which is really sort of with critique. Um, Because I think, you know, again, the nurse practitioner was created ostensibly to sort of increase access to care. Um, um, And we can sort of see, um, you know, um, the sort of um, contemporary vestiges of that original decision, um, which is that although they can provide care to anyone, Um, from the beginnings until today, NPs are primarily called to do the sort of less lucrative work. Um, They're called to do primary care with patients who are struggling with poverty, disability, social instability. Um, And so really, you know, the the critique really is, um, from where I began, is is to sort of say that this sort of framing of the NP as a substitute physician um, who can help us deal with problems of access to cost is really sort of focusing our um, our attention on the downstream problem. Um, um, And as a downstream problem, it really can't be solved in that location. Um, It has to sort of um, move upstream And I think where that upstream looks like um, may not actually be in continuing to put more and more money into healthcare per se. Um, And that is because I think you know what was hopeful um, about the Grove um, is really thinking about um, the ways in which we can impact the Well being and health of people by really focusing on their social situation. Um, And even though, you know, in the context of of my observations, um, attention to their sort of social situations and the social problems um, that they're sort of dealing with in every day were were being addressed by a nurse practitioner from inside the exam room, it really sort of um, shined a light, I think, um, about. The role that that um, um, sort of deepening um, and weaving of the social safety net outside the healthcare encounter, uh, and the, the ways in which um, if we did that, we might actually be able um, to make a real impact um, on um, the sort of health of our population um, in ways that doesn't have to look like throwing, you know, um, increasing amount of money into um, um, into sort of high tech. Um, 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 pharmaceutical solutions, there's sort of high tech, sort of genetic solutions, there's sort of high tech, right? And you know, fill in the blank solutions um, that really um, is um, what sort of medical care is providing. That we really there are more cost effective ways of dealing. With um, um, with health disparities um, from outside the exam room, um, and that I think that you know, nurse practitioners certainly have a role to play um, in helping us to in helping to be a part um, of the knitting together um, of that sort of social safety net. But I think to some extent their tools are limited, right? They are healthcare providers, right? I don't want anyone listening to think that they are, you know, um, some kind of super um, provider um, who also a social worker who was also sort of a (laughs) advocate, right? They have medical tools. That's what they learned to sort of do um, in nursing school. Um, But wouldn't it be lovely for nurse practitioners as well as their patients um, if this sort of knitting together that they were able to do in the exam room could be complemented by a a more effective, robust safety net um, that was happening in the world outside um, these sort of medical encounter. And so to me, the places where I am hopeful Um, is that there really is no end to uh, rising healthcare costs. Right, um, that, the, the cost of providing health care, as long as we are still sort of embedded in the sort of market-based um, 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 solution for providing health care, there are ways in which those costs um, um, are never going to be sort of driven down by throwing continuing to throw more money into that particular model of providing health care. But I think we have other models that can help us really um, be more hopeful, right? I think one of them is putting more money into the social safety net, um, um, perhaps and employing more social workers outside the healthcare organization um, to sort of help us sort of do that work. Um, But also, you know, I think it is time to um, reconsider um, our fundamental belief that the best healthcare system is one based on the market, Um, because I think, you know, there are ways in which we can sort of see that um, the needs of our patients um, um, are not going to be um, met um, um, in the exact same ways um, um, as um, attention to profit um, will give us.
0: Well, Latanya, it's a wonderful book, um, and uh, as I said, a, an illuminating book and an inspiring book in a lot of ways too. And I hope, I hope that um, any you know healthcare professionals that are, might be listening to this podcast will will check it out. Um, we have taken up a lot of your time. Um, it's time for our traditional final question, which is, what are you working on now?
1: Ah, well, um, you've taken up a lot of my time because I've talked a lot, <laughs> um, but, but we we are on the last question and, you know, I really have two projects. <clears throat> hmm. All right. So. Um, I have two projects that I'm working on. Um, the first is, is is what I call my pandemic project. Um, every scholar has their pandemic project, uh, particularly those of us who rely on face-to-face interaction. Um, we've had um, some of our work um, be placed on hold, um, but Many of us have tried to make lemonade from this particularly bitter lemon of the pandemic um, by really sort of thinking about, you know, what can we say about the current moment? Um, and my pandemic project is really trying to understand the work of nurses, um, not just nurse practitioners, but 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 all kinds of nurses um, who are sort of doing... Uh, um, the work um, of holding healthcare together during the pandemic. Uh, and so one arm of that uh, project um, I'm doing in collaboration with some colleagues at Franklin and Marshall College, um, Emily Marshall, Harriet Okach, and Edward Novak. Um, and that arm of the study is really trying to replicate this idea of field work. Um, if we can't be in the field, um, um, we can sort of, um, we're using audio diaries to get as close to the action of real, real-time nursing work as possible. So that's sort of one arm of the, of the study um, that is sort of um, progressing in a really exciting way. Um, and the second part of that study is I'm, do, I'm interviewing individual nurses um, to have them sort of um, talk about their experiences um, of working during the pandemic. Um, and then there's my non-pandemic project, um, which really you know, um, um, builds on more than medicine um, in, in, in a different way um, in the book. I really focused on the providers themselves, um, but I also had my eye on the patients, which were sort of older adults. Um, And so this this project, Um, is one where I'm really sort of examining more fully the emergence of nursing home alternatives for older adults um, that include assisted living facilities, um, um, adult day centers um, um, with medical services like The Grove, as well as retirement communities, um, with a particular focus on the experience of Black older adults within these alternatives. And so, you know, I'm really interested in these places where medical work is happening, where nursing work is happening, but they're not formally institutions that are providing medical or nursing work. Um, um, And I'm sort of really interested in sort of thinking about how these new places are really reshaping our understanding about um, what it means to care and be cared for. Um, So those are sort of my two um, um, projects um, sort of going forward.
0: Well, those both sound great. Those sound fantastic. Um, LaTanya, thank you so much for taking time to share your work with us today.
1: Well, you're welcome, it was a pleasure.